0: Mayor Lori Lightfoot beefs up her campaign team as challengers start lining up. And I'll talk with David Manilow for his restaurant reviews and recommendations, including recent Michelin star recipient Kasama.
1: I can only tell you, it was such a fabulous experience.
0: Wow. It is
1: the best meal I've had in years and the best restaurant experience I've had in years.
0: I feel like that's pretty bold language coming from you.
1: They don't give you the menu up front. They give you the menu when you leave. So everything that comes out is kind of a surprise.
0: I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, April 13th. They called, when Trust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com dailygist Daily Gist. Member FDIC. David Manilow is back for our weekly conversation about the business of food, the joy of eating, and the challenges of working in the service industry. So, David, a while back, we talked about three new-to-you restaurants that you went to, and then there were three that you hadn't been to yet, but they were on your to-do list. You have since gone to those three, and you're back with reviews.
1: True. You know, the three that I've been to recently, Haleo in River North. That's Haleo by Jose Andres, famous chef.
0: He's in the news a lot lately,
1: He is in the news for doing absolutely wonderful work. The second one is Basant Modern Indian and North Center. And the third is Kasama, which is in Ukrainian village. And I think I'd like to start with that.
0: Okay. Let's start there.
1: So Kasama just got a Michelin star. Yes, they did. It's a relatively new restaurant. It's on the James Beard top new restaurant in the country list of nominees. Okay. They had been a kind of breakfast lunch spot for a while. And they were doing, you know, great pastries and um, breakfast sandwiches. And they're Filipino-based. So they would have lumpia and a longanisa sausage and egg sandwiches with both or fried rice with garlic and all kinds of stuff. And including that, they have added a dinner service, which is a 13-course prefix. Okay. It's the only Filipino-based Tasting menu in Chicago. And I will say that I, I've been to a lot of restaurants where they do one thing in the day and then they do another thing at night. And it doesn't always go well because it's kind of like, do you know who you want to be? In this case, the, the restaurant itself is kind of long and thin. And during the day, they have you order up at the counter and you may go and sit down and they have an outdoor patio. And at night, they turn the lights down a little bit. They put some plants and flowers at the counter so you don't notice it. They they kind of upgrade their stemware, flatware. And it is the best meal I've had in years. Wow. And the best restaurant experience I've had in years.
0: I feel like that's pretty bold language coming from you.
1: I can only tell you it was such a fabulous experience um, from beginning to end. They don't give you the menu up front. They give you the menu when you leave. So everything that comes out is kind of a surprise. Oh, It's $185 per person, so it's not cheap. It's an additional $95 if you have wine pairings. But they also have kind of an, uh, a, I would say, an a la carte cocktail list or non-alcoholic list if you want that too, which is actually what my wife and I did. It almost was transformational for me. It was just such a lovely experience. We were sitting where my wife could face the kitchen and I faced the wall. That was the only thing I regretted. I know she enjoyed it a lot. But it's one of these places for kind of a high-priced dinner that's really genuine. It's not pretentious anyway. It's kind of delicate without being precious, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, the the people who should not go there are like pretentious jerks. (laughs) Okay. That are just checking this off their list because this is kind of like the place to go right now. It's, it's run by a husband and wife team, Jeannie Kwan and Tim Flores, who are both cooks. Jeannie does the pastries and Tim Flores does the, um, savory. They both worked at Oriole, which is a two Michelin star restaurant. I can only tell you that I, I didn't want to leave. You know, when Jeannie uh, at the end of the meal comes around to each table, and she has croissants in daytime, but the croissants at nighttime, she goes and personally shaves truffles on them for everyone. I was like, I'm like, OK, I'm all yours. But I will say this. I'm the type that, you know, if, if I sense that I'm in really good hands, I just kind of like I embrace the experience. And I, and, and I think anybody who goes there, just roll with it. Sure. It's not like crazy avant-garde. There's going to be, you know, no, you know, incredible, you know. Theatrics, it's just a lovely way to spend
0: a night. I think that's so interesting, though, that you don't get the menu till after. So it's just kind of a surprise. Right. Is that just kind of God help you if you have food allergies or you're vegetarian or something?
1: <laughs> no, no. Fair question, because I actually do. And I've I've reduced my food allergy to describing it as I don't do anything with the word cream in it. So that, because it allows people to like butter and cheese and whatever. But if it's creme fraiche or ice cream, probably, you know, cream cheese, stay away. So they have a thing where, because everything's kind of online now, where they actually contact you several days beforehand and they say, if you have a food allergy, please let us know and we will do our best to accommodate it. And Jeannie Cron is like an absolute fabulous pastry and dessert chef. She made, uh, I think, my halo halo, which is the Asian peregrinita. And it usually has... um like a leche flan, which I assume leche is milk, and she did it with something else. It was just so am- amazingly good. But it's kind of like a contemporary take on Filipino food. So they they're using like you know waigu beef, and they're doing lumpia, which is kind of like typically a fried spring roll. Let's since it's very it's very traditional national, and they do it more with you know herbs and radish, and they have oysters and pork belly and fabulous desserts and I just. Can't say enough good things about it and really innovative. And the two of them are just sweet, lovely people and the service is great. And I'm just saying, you know, if you get the chance, if you can get there, go for your birthday, go for a you know, an anniversary, go because it's Wednesday. You know, if you can get in there, go. It's a pricey meal, but it's one of those pricey meals that's, I think, absolutely worth it.
0: Again, I say this is very high praise coming from you because you have eaten just about everywhere in this city. So for you to say it was one of the best meals you've had in a long time, that's that's pretty high. That's high praise.
1: You know, for instance, I I had been to Oriole, which is, I think, a a more expensive meal. And it's really, really great. Don't get me wrong. It's really, really great. And if you've been to Alinea, it's it's, you know, if you can, you should go once because it's also I mean, it's just got its, you know, another three Michelin stars. And, and you know, Curtis Duffy's places are always great, you know, ever and whatever. Um, oh, ever and whatever. That's interesting. Maybe they'll be their sequel. Um, but <laughs> I think it's partly because it's kind of a much more casual experience. The the people are friendly. That You're sitting fairly close to people. Uh, have you been there for breakfast or lunch? I have not. Okay, so if you go there, if you go there for breakfast, lunch, it seems like a really nice breakfast or lunch spot. So even though they're transforming it for dinner, it's not all of a sudden where, you know, everything is delicate. The chairs are fabulous or, you know, there's there's artwork hanging that wasn't there, you know, four hours ago. I I describe it as like warm and genuine. It's not too often where you can pay a good amount of money. And still feel like, well, this was. I felt embraced. Look, I've been to really high price restaurants where I get angry. I'm like, I, you know, I can't believe I'm, you know, because it's so pretentious. Sure. And, and I can't believe I'm dropping this kind of money on this. And I don't. I, obviously, who would enjoy that? I certainly don't. So, this is special. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad we have it in our city.
0: Okay. Which restaurant would you like to do next?
1: Let's do Basant Modern Indian. Okay. Which I think is interesting.
0: So, have you ever
1: been to a movie? That you went on a Saturday, and by Monday, you kind of forgotten about it.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> that was kind of my take of Basan, modern India. You know, not okay. everything was good. If you asked me, like, how was it? I was like, it was good. Food was good. You know, people were nice. Drinks were interesting, good. But I actually think it's kind of like it was like an effort to be modern Indian. And you walk in there, and it has a, it has a lovely bar. You know, which is a little bit different from a lot of Indian restaurants that you see, really pretty. And they have a lot of cocktails that are almost all of them are kind of syrupy sweet, or at least have that kind of an ingredient in them. And I understand that because Indian food can be pretty super spicy. So counterbalance spice, but it's just to me, it was just kind of like, it was almost like they're just calling themselves modern Indian because they want people to they want to have a kind of a little bit of a different niche but i didn't feel anything modern about their cooking a lot of the dishes were just fairly typical indian dishes and we go out and eat indian a fair amount we have a couple in our neighborhood my kid's favorite spot is a pakistani spot um sabri nahari on um on divan so you know we we know our way around indian food a little bit and this was just just in north center it was fine i'm glad i went but you know i the the academy award-winning movie Coda that just came out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I watched it the day of the Academy Awards, and then I watched it two days later again. That's how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, okay, definitely. Coda, Coda was Kasama.
0: Right. <laughs> this
1: is <laughs> this is like a movie I haven't, you know, can't remember the name of.
0: So, is it the modern part that's throwing you that it was like if it was just Indian fair, it would be fine, but that it, kind of the promise of it being more elevated or more accessible or something like that.
1: Totally fair question. My expectations going in. something unique. And back to Kusama, expensive, beautiful, um, delicate, unbelievably interesting flavors, but genuine. I just didn't sense this place being genuine. And most of my experiences at Indian restaurants are kind of like Andavan or, you know, really genuine experiences where they're not trying to be something I think they're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So okay. That's
1: my take. That's my take on that.
0: All right. So let's go to the third one. The
1: third was Haleo by Jose Andres, which is in River North. And first of all, just everyone should go to Jose Andres' restaurant because he's just so good for the world, I think. And for people who don't know him, you know, right now he's in Ukraine. You know, his World Central Kitchen is just, you know, serving a million meals a day or some crazy number. So wherever there is like a, a really difficult spot in the world, uh, Jose Andres and his team show up and that's just so fabulous
0: he's been deploying people to these kind of pop-up kitchens to feed people in crisis for a while through hurricanes and earthquakes and all kind of things and now like as people are fleeing ukraine
1: yeah i know he was in puerto rico for a long time when that was going on so sensational human being and he has several restaurants in chicago the one in river north is haleo j-a-l-e-o and it's a you know very lively place you can you know Obviously, go in and get a reservation. You can go sit at the bar. I guess it's mostly tapas, but they have things like paella, which serves between two and four people. I'd say maybe two hungry people, but you know, you can spread it out. And for instance, that's between like $45 and $80 to give you a, a sense of the price. Like with chicken in it, it's $55. With oxtail in it, it's $80. Vegetarian, it's, you know, it's $45. I had octopus, which was, you know, very good. $23. I mean, everything's expensive these days. And I had like a really great lentil stew with uh, Iberico pork, which is absolutely fantastic. But I would say uh, Haleo is, you know, it's, it, it, it feels like it should be in River North. Uh, they have, I believe, five of them, stretching from Vegas, Disney... Washington DC. And the next one is Dubai. So you can kind of get the sense of, you know, where they're going, who they're after. But I think it was, it's a, I think it's a really good place for a group, good place to, um, you know, enjoy yourself. And, you know, obviously a lot of places in river North and walk around. So I'm I'm glad it's here and I'm glad I went. And uh, of the three, which would I run back to? I would run back to Kasama, but I think I'll wait for their next menu to change, and I bring, probably will bring a, uh, some sure, other people. Sure,
0: sure. All right. Well, so we need to pick three more. I feel like we always need to have some aspirational restaurants in the hopper for you. I've kind of put you on the spot, though. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. I am going to I am going to Gretel tonight. Okay. So Gretel is the kind of like the the sequel to Little Bad Wolf, if you can get into oh. the children's. Uh, nursery rhymes. And uh, Gretel is uh, on uh, Armitage, West on Armitage, where Little Bed Wolf, I think, is maybe close to Edgewater or something like that. Um, But so I will report back on that at some point.
0: Yeah. What's the menu at Gretel?
1: Well, menu at Gretel, you know, menu at Gretel is, uh, I think, a little bit more elevated bar food, but they have things, they're supposed to have a great cheeseburgers, you know, lobster rolls, things like that, but they don't take reservations. So yeah. I have to, so it's, I, I've always found that a place that doesn't take reservations in general, I can, I can go with my wife. I could go with a kid or two. I don't know if I can invite people right. to those places because what happens if you're waiting an hour and you're kind of looking like the, you know? Yeah. I do want to talk about one other thing, and that is um, Dinkles, yes, the donut, cake, pastry, cookie shop on Lincoln Avenue. After I believe 101 years, is closing at the end of April. And when I say I I want to bring it up, I really don't, because emotionally it's very difficult for me to talk about it (laughs) because I have been to Dinkles, getting chocolate glazed donuts and birthday cakes. And other things, you know, I I, I don't know if it's a hundred times, but it's a lot. And that is a genuine old school place. And, you know, when we lose a place like that, it's it's always it 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 takes a little out of me, I gotta be honest.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that one when, when you did like your tour of all the bakeries. You mentioned that place about and you talked about how special it was.
1: It's special, but kind of once again, it's kind of like to me, what do places feel like when you walk in? Yeah. Do you get the sense that, that you know, you want to be here? And Dinkles is one of those places. Kasama, after you've sat there for a while, is is one of those places. Obviously, a place that's been there for 100 years has gone through multiple family generations and all that stuff. But I had talked to the owner years ago, and he he had said, you know, years ago, five years ago, and he had said, like, his daughter or whatever wanted him to get into all the stuff and Instagram and modernize. And he's like, I can't do that. He's like, I can't do it. And I was like, that's why I love you here. You know, that's so great. So
0: Well, I think if you need it, there's a support group forming on Twitter. I saw a lot of outcry (laughs) when that news was announced and a lot of people were sharing kind of special memory. People who grew up here were kind of talking about special memories and the role it played for them. So I think you could find a little support group if you needed that.
1: I I think I might. But, uh, you know, I mentioned to you in uh, in passing that uh, it's closing on April 30th and my birthday is on May 3rd. And I may request a a, kind of like a moving the birthday uh, event up a little early, so I can get one of the last Dinkles cakes. You know, yeah, a couple candles, one
0: last Dinkles cake. Yeah, it sounds like a memoir or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My last stop at Dinkles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Last bite at Dinkles. Hey,
0: it's your book to write. All right. Well, thanks so much, David. Always a pleasure.
1: Thanks. Great seeing you. Thank you.
0: Coming up, the latest maple and ash steakhouse spat. Just weeks after one business partner first sued the other, now an accusation of misappropriated funds. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Crane's invites all general counsels, chief legal officers, and senior in-house counsels to our general counsel breakfast on May 17th. The event will feature Chicago's top general counsels offering perspective on current legal trends in business and litigation. Plus, our exclusive panel takes a closer look at how general counsels can best manage the risks and challenges in today's landscape. CLE credit will be available. To learn more and find out how to attend, visit chicagobusiness.com slash events.
2: You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Goose.
0: Mayor Lori Lightfoot is building up her campaign team as challengers start to emerge. In an announcement this week, Mayor Lightfoot said she has added a prominent TV ad maker, a veteran strategist for successful congressional candidates, and a former union official to her campaign team. As Crane's political columnist Greg Hines reports, specifically, that's national political consultant Valerie Martin, whose Silversmith Strategies has handled media, digital advertising, and overall campaign strategy for candidates, including Illinois U.S. Representatives Robin Kelly and Brad Schneider. Joining Martin will be media consultant Eric Adelstein, who has handled TV ads and other work for candidates, including U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock and Georgia gubernatorial hopeful Stacey Abrams, as well as Illinois Secretary of State hopeful, The third member of Lightfoot's team is political coordinator Deborah Cosey Lane. A former official with the Amalgamated Transit Union in Chicago, she's expected to work to repair what Hines described as Lightfoot's sometimes rocky relationship with organized labor. Lightfoot's announcement came on the same morning that businessman Willie Wilson said he would again challenge Lightfoot as he did in the 2019 election. Already in the race is Alderman Ray Lopez of the 15th Ward. Last month, former Chicago Public Schools Chief Arnie Duncan moved toward a race but ultimately decided not to run. Several others are still reportedly considering it, including U.S. Rep Mike Quigley and former CPS CEO Paul Vallis. An issue is brewing between neighboring suburbs over which one can claim Allstate's longtime corporate campus when it's redeveloped into a mix of warehouses. As Crane's Danny Ecker reports, at issue in the dispute is a plan from Nevada-based industrial developer Dermody Properties, which reached a deal last year to buy the 232-acre property on Sanders Road from Allstate, demolish the office buildings on it, and develop 11 warehouses totaling over 3 million square feet.
2: This fight appears to come down to a 50-year agreement signed 25 years ago between Glenview and Prospect Heights and whether it's still in effect. It has not escalated into a legal matter yet, but all signs are pointing to lawyers getting involved here as Glenview fights to claim this site as its own territory. We don't know why Dermody is apparently going down this path with Prospect Heights, but It would seem that it has a bad taste in its mouth from another project it was trying to jumpstart in a more residential part of Glenview that it couldn't get going. And these days, industrial real estate is so hot and such a job creator that developers might feel like they have leverage to say, look, we want to be affiliated with a municipality that will roll out the red carpet for us. And that sounds like the treatment they would be getting from Prospect Heights which is one of the smaller cities in the northwest suburbs and about one-third of the size of Glenview by population.
0: The campus is primarily on unincorporated Cook County property bordering Glenview, Northbrook, and Prospect Heights, with about 30 acres in Prospect Heights itself. Dermody could petition one of those municipalities to annex the site, meaning that suburb would provide basic infrastructure services to the property and oversee its zoning. But now there appears to be an emerging showdown over who has the right to annex the site and benefit from what would likely be millions of dollars of new tax revenue it would generate. New York investigators told a judge that a Chicago-based real estate services firm long used by Donald Trump's company is refusing to comply with subpoenas for records about appraisals on three properties at the center of a state probe into the former president's business. New York Attorney General Letitia James said in a Manhattan court filing on Friday that Chicago-based Cushman and Wakefield, which severed ties with Trump last year, is wrongfully challenging demands for records issued in September and February. The state is investigating Trump's use of potentially misleading asset valuations for financial gain. James asked a state court judge to issue an order forcing Cushman to comply, and her request comes just a day after the attorney general asked the same judge to hold Trump in contempt of court and to fine him $10,000 a day until he complies with a subpoena for his own records. A hearing on the contempt issue is set for April 25th. As Bloomberg reported, the subpoenas sought on Friday are part of James' effort to, quote, determine whether certain valuations prepared by Cushman were fraudulent or misleading, and whether Cushman itself has engaged in fraudulent or misleading practices in its issuance of appraisal that according to the filing. The properties in question in the civil probe are the Trump Organization's Seven Springs in Westchester County near Manhattan, Trump's National Golf Club in Los Angeles, and 40 Wall Street in New York. In January, James said the probe had already uncovered what she described as significant evidence that Trump may have used misleading asset valuations to get better terms for loans and insurance and to secure bigger tax breaks for donated property. Cushman worked with the Trump Organization for years, handling leasing at properties including 40 Wall Street. But the company cut ties with Trump in January 2021 after the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. The legal battle between two partners in Gold Coast Steakhouse Maple & Ash continues as one alleged the other misappropriated $265,000 from a company bank account. Cranes Ali Marati reported that David Peiser first filed suit against James Lasky late last month. Alleging Lasky locked him out of the company's corporate offices, took his computer and disabled electronic access to financial reports after refusing a demand to sell his stake in the business. Lasky filed a document this week with the Cook County Circuit Court that alleges Pizer removed $40,000 from one bank account associated with the business, took $225,000 from another and put the money into his personal account. The document also alleges that Pizer and his attorney emailed company investors, quote, making false allegations about Lasky and the financial operations of the company. As Maradi also reports, Lasky and his attorneys asked the court to order the funds to be returned and install a temporary restraining order. An attorney representing Lasky didn't immediately respond to Crane's requests for a comment. And an attorney representing Pizer denied allegations that Pizer made false statements to investors about Lasky, though he said in a statement that, quote, "...investors have informed Pizer that they're upset with Lasky's actions." The attorney also denied allegations that Pizer misappropriated money. As Maradi also noted, the two opened Maple and Ash in 2015. Its parent company has eight restaurants and venues with seven more in development, according to court documents, with revenue projected to reach up to $200 million this year, up from about $35 million in 2019. Pizer and Lasky each own about a third of the company, as does an entity associated with Chef Danny Grant, that also according to court documents. At an April 1st hearing, a judge denied the complaint's request for a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction to restore the status quo. The next court date is scheduled for April 29th.